Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The first quarter review episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by, you guessed it, my bookie. Truth is, guys, I don't know who's going to win week in and week out, but if you do, or if you think you do, you got to check out my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you are betting with. That's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, guys, they are your best bet this season. Got that Thursday night game kicking off, Colts and Patriots. Yeah, Patriots are down, Colts, you know, valiantly battling on Houston on Sunday. Who knows what's going to happen? But um, my bookie is the place to go. They've been in business for years. They have great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, and they pay. They have in-game live betting, over-unders on fantasy points scored, and the most rewarding player perks in the business. And currently, my, better, my bookie is being slammed with new betters and wants to give everyone the best service possible. If you're willing to deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern time, they'll give you an additional $25 in free play on deposits over $100. Join now and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar as well. Use promo code BEARS25 to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's MyBookie, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code BEARS25 when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. So if you're willing to hold out until after 7 p.m. Eastern time, you can get that extra $25 free by using promo code BEARS25. So there you have it, guys. My bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. This week on the Bears Talk Underground. For several years now, the month of September has been very unkind to our beloved with slow starts that dug holes we couldn't find our way out of. But after the winds of change blew through Chicago in the offseason, our beloved are sitting atop the NFC North at the end of September instead of the bottom. How did we get here, and are we here to stay? Lauren Cox from the Locked on Bears podcast joins us for the first quarter review episode of The Bears Talk Underground. You know, usually we're doing this later on in the year. We've got a lot more football to talk about, but after the first four weeks, I think we're good right where we're at right now. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for the uh, first quarter review episode of the Bears Talk Underground. Here to uh, to talk about these these first four games, the, the disaster that was Green Bay and, um, you know, the the crazy night that was Seattle, the frustration of Arizona, and then the euphoria of Tampa Bay and we'll have that discussion with our good friend from Locked on Bears, NBC Sports Chicago, bearswire.com and a partridge in a pear tree, Lauren Cox and uh we love having him on and uh recorded the conversation with him last night and um you know how we do guys when we get together Lauren and I 
once the conversation starts, it's quite difficult to get it to stop. So uh, I hope you guys are comfy because uh, that conversation goes on. It's all good stuff, I promise, but it does go on for a little while. But before we get to that, a couple of real cool uh, news and notes here. Um, more like accolades for our beloved Chicago Bears. Mitch Trubisky uh, did not win NFC, NFC Offensive Player of the Week. That honor went to Jared Goff, who was probably the one person who had a better day than Trubisky uh, in week four. Threw for 465 and I think four touchdowns, maybe five, uh, against the Vikings last Thursday. So he was the winner of the NFC Offensive Player of the uh, Week award. However, Mitch Trubisky did walk away with the... Uh, FedEx Air Player of the Week uh, honors. So uh, he did come away uh, with something for his 354 yards, six touchdowns, zero interceptions, and his near-perfect quarterback rating against the Buccaneers uh, on Sunday. And uh, in more news, uh, the guy that uh, will never be second uh, in Chicago, apparently Khalil Mack named the NFC Defensive Player of the Month for September uh, earlier today, so uh, 14 plus tackles, uh, five sacks, good for second in the league right now. Uh, four forced fumbles, an interception, and a pick six, all at the same. I mean, I guess the interception and the pick six, but he's got a touchdown along with an interception uh, as well. Not to mention, I, I think I read he's also leading the league in pressures uh, as well. So uh, he has been an absolute beast so there's no surprise whatsoever he's walking away with uh, defensive player of the month uh, for September and um, <laughs> and, and like we talked about before this guy is as a leading candidate for MVP he's he's on the short list with like Mahomes and Goff right now as far as who the MVP of the entire league would be and I don't even think he has a second right now for defensive player uh, of the year I know it's still early lots of football left to be played but after these first four weeks you know how they like to how they like to say on sports center if the season ended today you know clear and, and clear and present the number one defensive player uh, in all of football right now and then uh, finally I'm trying to make this as short as possible because we got a long talk with Lauren and I got some uh, I got something special to get to here in just a minute um, just wanted to remind everyone again um, this coming Tuesday, uh, because there's no Bears game uh, this weekend, there will be no week five review episode. However, I will have a special episode of the Bears Talk Underground on Tuesday night uh, when uh, best-selling author Jeff Perlman comes on to the show to talk about uh, his latest book, which I just saw on Twitter today, made the New York Times bestsellers list. He is pumped about that. It was actually his tweet that, that announced it. He is super proud of the fact that this book made that list because it was such a labor of love, and we'll talk to him about that. on. Uh, I'll talk to him on Monday. The show will come out on Tuesday. But uh, Jeff wrote an, an amazing book, The um, Crazy Rise and Crazier Demise of the USFL. It's called Football for a Buck is actually the title of the book. That's the subtitle that I just gave you. And uh, a lot of amazing stories. I mean, just crazy, hilarious. I mean, if, if it wasn't the 80s and, and everything was just bananas in the 80s, for those of you that lived through it, you know. Um, <laughs> if it wasn't the 80s, you wouldn't believe a word of it. But because it was the 80s, it gets the benefit of the doubt. And it's just the madness of football players doing what they do. It's, it's really an enjoyable, very fun read. I just got through it. In, in a couple of days because it's an absolute page turner so go out and get yourself a copy 
and get prepared for the interview coming on Tuesday. So looking forward to talking to him. And of course, Jeff also wrote the 2011 biography, Sweetness, about the GOAT, the greatest football player of all time, the man himself, Walter Payton. So of course, we're going to take a few minutes to talk to him about sweetness, see what kind of stories we can dig out from him uh, about, uh, about our beloved uh, Walter Payton. May he rest in peace. And uh, before we get to the conversation with Lauren, I made a promise a couple of weeks back to one of my loyal listeners, uh, John C. Collins. He, um, he posts a lot on the, on the Bears Talk Underground Facebook page. If you want to join in, just search Bears Talk Underground uh, and join the group. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, John uh, posted some questions that he was good enough to... Uh, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. to wait when I said, actually, these are good questions. I want to take some time and, and, and answer them on the show. And we've got a show coming up where I'll have the time to do that. And here we are uh, with the first quarter review uh, episode. And the first question was, uh, which injuries hurt, long ter- hurt the long-term trajectory of the Bears the most? Well, I got a few answers for that. The first one that came to mind when, when it came up was, Going all the way back to the 80s, wasn't one injury specifically. As a matter of fact, the next guy that we're going to talk about is also basically in the same uh, category. Is uh, This is the guy who basically stayed hurt, and it hurt the team because he wasn't around to help contribute to you know, the way that he did when the Bears had success, and that would be Jim McMahon. Um, he was, uh, I mean, he was always hurt. Basically, the guy was banged up. He was... He was always hurt one way uh, or the other. However, uh, in 85, he missed games in the middle of the season but was healthy and primed and ready to go when the postseason came around and very much led the charge to the Bears, you know, mauling their way through the postseason and then uh, winning the Super Bowl at Super Bowl Twenty uh, that year. But in 86, he got hurt early on in the year. He, was, he, he had a bad shoulder. And then uh, in a game against the Packers, I think it was early, like week six or something like that. Um, just an absolute, like a, a play that right now, not only would the guy get fined, he would probably miss half the season for how malicious and dirty the actual play was. Tim Harris was his name, a linebacker slash defensive end for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, McMahon, you know, rolling out to his right, he throws the football and he's just kind of standing there. The ball's been gone for five seconds at least. I think the play even might be over uh, when it happened. Tim Harris just comes up behind him, grabs him around the chest and basically spikes him right into the ground. And that bad shoulder went worse and we lost McMahon 
uh, for the rest of the season. Uh, and despite the injury, the Bears still went 14-2, and were the number one seed in the playoffs and the favorites to go back to and win the Super Bowl. However, we had Steve Fuller, Mike Tomzak, and Doug Flutie, which was, a, a late, I think, a late addition uh, in the season as our quarterbacks. And for whatever reason, uh, Ditka wanted to go with Flutie instead of the veteran Fuller or you know Mike Tomzak uh, in the playoff game against the Redskins, and he was absolutely abysmal. Uh, against the Redskins the Bears ended up losing that game and therefore not getting back to the Super Bowl 87 another another thing you know McMahon getting hurt I mean a lot of guys missed time that was the strike year everybody missed at least four games uh, in 87 I think and um, but nonetheless injured again we we were left with Mike Tomzak in the playoffs and um, you know valiant effort by the team but still came up short against the Redskins again in 87 that was the year that uh Walter Payton retired after that loss. Uh, 88, more of the same. And, and whenever McMahon was on the field, he wasn't playing well. Uh, I, I've, I've, I remember the Bears made it to the NFC Championship game in 88. They played the 49ers at home. They had home field advantage, 12-4 and record. They were the number one seed. Home field advantage, the 49ers coming to Chicago, one of the most frigid days in the history of the city, which is not easy to do. And uh, the 49ers... <laughs> beat the piss out of the bears 28 to three and i remember vividly i was at a sports bar with my dad watching the game it was my uncle's restaurant actually and um it was it was like a, a back and forth all week long about would mcmahon play would tom zach play or whatever mcmahon came in at one point during the game and he got booed by the fans in chicago like they, they didn't want him out there anymore i guess chicago was over jim mcmahon uh, at that point, but in and out of the lineup in, in all three of those years following 85 was the reason. I mean, the Bears had the best team in the NFL in the later half of the 80s. They were the favorites to win the Super Bowl every single year because we were the best. We still had the best defense. They hadn't quite fallen apart just yet because the McCaskies were cheap bastards. We still were able to to have that team together until at least the 88 season. But, um, you know, nonetheless, because we didn't have a solid quarterback uh, at the time, we were hurt. I mean, I remember uh, reading a book that uh, Mongo McMichael did. I think it was like 04, 05, like View from the Locker Room or something like that was what it was called. He, He stated that. And I've even heard Richard Dent say the same thing. If the quarterback stays healthy. We could have won four championships in a row in, in those years. I mean, if if we have our, our starting quarterback playing, you know, in those games, then, you know, we we probably win multiple championships and they would have been the team of the 80s, not the 49ers. So, um, you know, it wasn't just one injury that sent the Bears off on a bad trajectory. It was several injuries that seemed to kill the team each and every year uh, being one dimensional because they don't have a passing game and. Uh, and all the rest of that stuff, it was um, it's what hurt the Bears uh, in the 80s. So Jim McMahon would be my first answer. The second, like I said, not just one injury that hurt the long-term trajectory, but several, as a matter of fact, would be Mike Brown. Um, him being hurt put the safety position with the Bears in flux up until probably about last year. You know, Mike Brown, we drafted him, I think, in 2000. We got him in the second round out of Nebraska. He's a beast for the first three, four years of his career. After his rookie contract is up, the Bears, you know, no surprise, sign him to a lengthy extension. And 04, Lovey Smith comes in. And two games into the 2004 season, Mike Brown blows out his Achilles. He's lost for the year. Comes back in 2005. 
um, is in and out of the lineup with nagging injuries. It was a calf injury mostly that uh, that that hurt him the most, and it kept him out of several games down the stretch in 05, and he came back for the playoff game, and I think he re-injured it in the playoff game against Carolina, that loss against the Panthers. 2006, the Bears are undefeated. He breaks his foot in that crazy Monday night comeback in Arizona in 06, has to watch the Bears make the Super Bowl without him that year. So obviously it didn't hurt us too much in 2006, but here's here's where we could have used Mike Brown in the actual Super Bowl. Um, Mike Brown would have been on the field instead of Daniel Manning when Daniel Manning bit on a crossing route from Dallas Clark decided to run up to defend the tight end, leaving Reggie Wayne wide open down the middle of the field. I mean, he was back there like he was going to receive a punt, and all he had to do was not drop it, and it's a touchdown, and that's exactly what happened. Tank Johnson hits Peyton Manning just as he's throwing the football, so the trajectory of the ball, it was like sailing through the air, but Reggie Wayne was so open. Like I said, he's back there just basically like catching a punt or a kickoff. All he had to do was not drop it. He trots into the end zone, and the momentum of the game changes from that point. And if Mike Brown is healthy and playing, that probably doesn't happen. I I I would wager heavy money on that it was a rookie making a rookie mistake in a big game ended up hurting the bears big if mike brown's on the field i i wager that doesn't happen he comes back in 2007 first game of the season against the san diego chargers blows out his acl he's done for the year and uh, that pretty much was the end of mike brown the bears brought him back at a reduced rate in 2008 i'm pretty sure he made it through the season but he wasn't the same anymore because all of his injuries were leg injuries calf muscle broken foot torn acl he just wasn't the same mike brown after that whether it be the you know the fear of making that awkward step that's going to take him out of this you know out of the game or end his season once again or the fact that those injuries just piled up and he wasn't the player he used to be but it's like after mike brown started getting hurt the safety position became a weakness uh, for the bears and one that was never really solved you know, probably until last year when Amos and Eddie Jackson got paired up together back there, and now the safety position is is solid. You know, it's a strength in the secondary. So uh, Mike Brown would be my second answer. And then the third answer actually is one injury that threw off the long-term trajectory of the franchise, and that would be in 2011 when Jay Cutler broke his thumb against the San Diego Chargers. Now, check out how the domino effect worked here. First of all, let's talk about the impact that it had in 2011. Okay, in 2011, the Bears start the year and a lousy 2-3 and three record. Okay, after the 2-3 and three start, we go on a five-game winning streak. That fifth and final game being against the San Diego Chargers, and it was a dominant win, actually. I think the Bears won like 30-13 to 13 or something like that against the against the Chargers. And after that, the Chargers game, much like this year, when we play four games in a row against the AFC East, the Charger game was the first of four straight against the AFC West that year, which was the worst division in football in 2011. The champion of that division was the Tim Tebow-led Denver Broncos, who won the division at 8-8 eight and eight that year. Okay, that's how bad the Broncos, that's how bad that division was. And the way that the Bears are playing, you know, that five-game winning streak could have easily been an eight-game winning streak after we got done uh, with the AFC West. However, Cutler throws an interception. While he's trying to run down the defender, he falls awkwardly, breaks his thumb. He's done for the rest of the season. 
Caleb Haney comes in and initially, I mean, I've got, you guys can go back in the archives and find the episode. Initially, we as fans weren't worried because the last time we saw Caleb Haney, he was the damn near the hero of the 2010 NFC Championship game. After Jay's knee injury, he almost won us the NFC title game against Green Bay. Came up short, but he played well uh, in relief. So, okay, well, Haney's going to come in. He can at least get us a split over these next few games because it was only supposed to be a four-week injury uh, for Cutler, and then he'd be back. Unfortunately, we lost all four of those games and then a fifth one on top of it. So we went from being 7-3 and three to 7-8, and eight, then won the season finale at Minnesota Week 17 to finish 500 for the year. Jerry Angelo was fired after 2011 season. A year later, new GM Phil Emery fires Lovey Smith after a 10-6 and six campaign, and that's a decision that we've been reeling from ever since. I mean, it, it really doesn't even feel like until now that we finally got our footing beneath us to actually be able to uh, succeed and go ahead and, and be a threat in the NFL instead of a you know flash in the pan uh, kind of thing. So, but it's like that thumb injury set off a, a, a chain of events that led to Jerry Angelo getting fired, Coach Lovey Smith getting fired after him, <sighs> hiring Phil Emery, who was dumb enough to take Tressman over uh, Bruce Arians in his coaching search having to fire him and bringing in John Fox. And that was um, a necessary disaster because it got us to where we are now. But, uh, you know, it's been six seasons. This is number six since that uh, since that fateful uh, 2012 decision. You know, if, if Cutler's healthy, we win at least 10 or 11 games that year. We make the playoffs. Maybe Phil Emery isn't so quick to pull the trigger on Lovey not making the playoffs in 2012 if everything happens the same. Uh, you know what I mean? So who knows what happens if Jay doesn't get hurt. But he did, and it set off a chain of events that led us to where we are right now. So those are the injuries that uh, affected the long-term trajectory. Uh, real quick, let's get through these. Yeah, the, second, uh, the second question was, which trades affected the Bears the most positively or negatively well I've got four for you the main one I'm going to talk about would be the single worst trade in the history of the franchise and that would be in 1998 the Bears gave up a first round pick on purpose for Rick Meyer quarterback from the Seattle Seahawks <laughs> uh, it pains me just to say it out loud Jesus Christ um yeah uh, Rick Meyer um, was drafted in the 93 draft. Um, he was much, much like in 98 when people were arguing about Peyton Manning versus Ryan Leaf, and you can't go wrong with either. Some people thought Leaf was the better prospect. Peyton, you know, might not be the guy and so on and so forth. Same debate five years earlier in 93 between Drew Bledsoe uh, and Rick Meyer. And um, Bledsoe went number one to New England. Seattle took uh, Rick Meyer at number two. He had a better rookie season than Drew Bledsoe did, and then it was kind of downhill after that. NFL defenses had him figured out after that first year, and he struggled the remaining two, three years, whatever it was, uh, in Seattle. And somehow, somehow those bastards in Seattle managed to convince Bears management. I think it was Mark Hatley at the time. May he, I don't, I hope he's dead. Jesus Christ. Um, Mark Hatley, I believe, was our player personnel. We didn't have a GM at the time. We didn't have a GM from the from like the time Jim Fink's passed away or Jim Fink's left the organization in the 80s. 
until the Bears hired Angelo in 2001. We had a director of player personnel or whatever the title was that was basically serving as a general manager. But the Bears didn't were like the only team in the league that didn't have a, a an actual general manager for several years until we hired Angelo in 2001. But um, they somehow convinced management in in the Bears front office to give up a first round pick for Rick Meyer. That actually happened, you know. And for years, I thought incorrectly that it it was. Um, and I think we actually talked about this with Spike Friedman during the uh, during our opponent preview over the summer. And uh, for years, I thought it was Walter Jones that the um, the Seahawks used or the Seahawks pick used that pick for. And Walter Jones is a Hall of Fame offensive tackle. The guy never missed a game for like his entire career or something insane like that but nonetheless we gave up Rick Meyer for Walter Jones it turned out that the the pick that the Bears gave away became Sean Springs who was one of the better defensive backs uh, cornerbacks in in the NFL in that era and most likely a Seahawk Hall of Fame ring of honor uh, guy uh, for sure but nonetheless uh, they got both Walter Jones and Sean Springs in the first round I just got it wrong it was Sean Springs not Walter Jones but nonetheless the return on the investment you want to know what the return on the investment was i even wrote it down he started three games for the bears we gave up first round pick for a guy that started three games and was cut after the 98 season that's what we got for a first round pick three games out of rick meyer three very bad games mind you very very bad games he was awful he was awful and uh (laughs) worst trade worst trade ever uh, positively, actually, this is one that falls into the both category. Brandon Marshall, 2012. Um, the Bears desperate for a number one wide receiver at the time. Jerry Angelo trying to make everyone believe uh, Devin Hester and Johnny Knox were number one wide receivers. I love both of those players. Neither of them was a number one receiver, and it hurt our offense. And um, so Phil Emery comes in. He listens to the fans uh, that are screaming for a number one wide receiver. Please go get us one. Go draft us one. Uh, he doubled down, but the, the, he went and drafted Alshon Jeffrey and traded for Brandon Marshall. And, and Brandon Marshall was an absolute beast in 2012, 2013. He was amazing uh, for the Bears. By far, Jay Cutler's favorite target. And the Bears had an offense all of a sudden because we weren't one-dimensional just uh, getting the ball to Matt Forte either on the ground or through the air over and over again because our wide receivers couldn't get open. We had a legit all-pro wide receiver who was also grooming Alshon Jeffrey at the same time. However, 2014, when uh, Mark Tressman allowed the inmates to run the asylum, Brandon Marshall's personality that got him thrown out of Denver and Miami ended up getting him tossed in Chicago after the 2014 season. Uh, also because he wouldn't let go of that inside the NFL job. I thought I always thought that was stupid that he wouldn't let that go so he could focus on his team. Um, however, the bears traded him away. And then the final positive note of the trade was we sent him to the New York jets for a fifth round pick. And that fifth round pick was Adrian Amos. So it was positive on the immediate return on the investment negative in the fact that it didn't work out because we ended up signing Marshall to an extension on his contract that he only played like one year in before we shipped him off to the jets. However, the return on investment and the trade has been pretty good because it got us Adrian Amos. So he falls into the category of both on that one. And then finally a, uh, well, not finally, I got one more after this, but um, this trade 
and, and its negative impact on the team has nothing to do with the player itself, unfortunately, because um, that player was Gaines Adams. Um, I think it was after the 2009 season. I think it was. Um, but um, Jerry Angelo decided to give up a second-round pick for the, uh, for the number four overall pick in the draft, or the former number four overall pick in the draft. Gaines Adams was a defensive end out of Clemson, was taken by the Buccaneers in 07, wasn't working out, wasn't the beast that he was uh, in college. Everybody thought a change of scenery might be a good idea, and once again, the Bears overpaid. Gave up a second-round pick for a guy that, uh, <laughs> you know, just he wasn't worth the, that. Uh, he, he wasn't. I, I would think maybe a third-round pick I think I would have been okay with, but a second-rounder. Uh, for him, I wasn't happy about that because this was coming off the heels of the Cutler trade. So it meant for the second year in a row, the Bears wouldn't have a first or second round pick uh, in the draft. So we weren't picking again until the third round and what have you. Unfortunately, I don't think Gaines Adams played a snap for the Bears because unfortunately he had a heart condition and he died. He had a he had a heart attack of some kind or went into cardiac arrest uh, one day and he passed away. Um, the only positive thing there is that it, it opened the door for the Bears to be aggressive in free agency and go get Julius Peppers. Um, but, um, you know, poor Gaines Adams, may he rest in peace. He's only 26 years old, but the Bears gave up a second round pick for a guy that, you know, like I said, it's it's no fault of his, you know. And like I said, may he rest in peace. But that's the deal that Angelo made. And we got zero return on our investment because uh, of the tragedy that took place. So I guess no one's really at fault. In this one, Jerry Angelo decided he wanted to take a chance on, 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 a, on a good player or who he thought might be a good player or have a chance to be good once again, and it didn't work out. And then finally, uh, I don't think anyone needs to uh, guess who this last trade is about. Uh, Khalil Mack. Yeah, that one, uh, that one turned out pretty good. I know we're only four games into what's going to be hopefully a seven-year tenure uh, of this guy on our team, but uh, we're four games in. He's Defensive Player of the Month. He's a favorite to win MVP at the moment, and uh, there is no second place to him being Defensive Player of the Year. So I think that one worked out, John. Thanks so much uh, for your questions, man, and I appreciate your patience letting me wait until now to answer those uh, for you. So um, take the lead from John, folks. If you guys want questions or have something that you want me to talk about on the show, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at BTU underscore Larry on Twitter or uh, go to the Facebook page. Uh, just search Bears Talk Underground on Facebook. So I'm going to go ahead and shut up now because I'm looking at the timer and we're at almost half an hour of me blathering on here. And we still got an hour of me and Lauren talking about the Bears and the first four games or the first quarter of the season. So I'm going to go ahead and be quiet now. I'm going to step aside, bring on our good friend Lauren Cox as he helps us preview or review, I should say, review the first quarter of the season. Our good friend Lauren Cox from the Bears on uh, Locked on Bears podcast. I can't talk, I swear. You know, usually we have this conversation more towards the middle of the season, but the NFL saw fit to give the Bears a week five bye uh, this this year. So uh, we only got four games to talk about, but we're happy to do it and have one of our favorite guests back on the show. Lauren, welcome to the now-named Bears Talk Underground. 
Hey, it's my first time on the new podcast, so I, I can pretend it's 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 a brand new experience for me. But appreciate you having me on again, and I always enjoy our our Bears talks. Yeah, I always look forward to them, and uh, we, you know, I get a lot of good feedback when you're on the show, so that uh, that helps too. So, well, um, we never said your listeners were that smart, so. right? You know, they are Bear fans <laughs> after all. So, you know, we're we, we're all. Maybe missing a uh, a can or two short of a six pack because of that, but you know, so far we're actually looking pretty smart for backing these guys. Uh, we're three and one, and actually we're a lousy half of football away from being a four and zero team. Theoretically, I mean, I, I we we had high hopes, we had expectations, some tempered, just because they're the Bears and we have to be realistic about things, but. You know, we were thinking, you know, optimistically, maybe we'll be two and two after these first four games or, you know, something like that. We'll definitely get off to a better start than the ones we've had with John Fox. But, you know, not only are we three and one, but we had quite easily our best performance in a very long time this past Sunday against the Buccaneers. It's just a a weird, uh, you know, maybe it's maybe it's karma. Maybe it's just kind of uh, making up for what was taken away at the end of week one. But and certainly you're not going to hear anybody complaining about it. And I, I do like the way Matt Nagy's kind of talked about, you know, that Green Bay Packers loss is something that they really feel like is helping them and that they keep coming back to each week and, and pointing to that and using it as motivation and as, a, I guess, a means of not getting too ahead of themselves here, even after they, they put on one of the probably the one of the most significant offensive performances of any team this year. Yeah. I mean, and it's. I mean, the, what was significant about it is because it's the performance we've been waiting for. I mean, even in this short season, but just you know, in the in the in the now sixteen games that Trubisky has been quarterback of the Chicago Bears. I mean, I guess you know, I don't think anyone really expected anything close to this last year with the cast of characters he had around him uh, on on the twenty seventeen squad. But this year, it in, for it to happen and then happen in the way that it did. You know, we were waiting for like 300 yards and three touchdowns, not for him to have a damn near perfect quarterback rating, go nuts on a team for six touchdowns and throw five of them in the first half. I mean, it was a performance beyond, I think, anyone's expectations. Yeah, and it was just kind of a perfect storm of like everything coming together. You know, it was facing a bad Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. It was four games under his belt in Matt Nagy's offense and really feeling more comfortable and confident in what they were doing is a combination of you know add in Nagy Nagy talked about scaling back a little bit and and trying not to do too much with the offense and obviously you know getting some big plays after the catch from some of these receivers as well and just uh, everything everything seemed to go right offensively certainly the defense kind of adds up to to its side of the bargain and I mean it was just really a perfect storm there for Trubisky and you know give him all the credit in the world for stepping up and kind of getting his mechanics under control a little bit more, finding that confidence. You know, the offensive line helped him out. The receivers helped him out. The coaching staff helped him out. The defense helped him out. And it was just like everything went right. Yeah, I mean, it really was an all-bears and no-bucks kind of game uh, on Sunday. I mean, aside from a couple of big pass plays to Deshaun Jackson, really nothing of note happened in the positive way for Tampa Bay uh, on Sunday. I mean, it was all-bears, you know, from from pretty much from start to – to finish and you know I was listening to the the Rich Eisen show the other day and Matt Nagy was actually a guest on the show I believe yesterday and he talked about you know these first four games and and like you mentioned before 
how the the Tampa or excuse me the Green Bay game was a learning experience. Hopefully, a lesson they don't have to learn again because that sucked like all the way. But um, how we've got three wins and they were done in three different ways. You you had the one where you got out in front early and you had to hang on to the lead to win. You got behind early against Arizona, had to work your way up and and retake the lead, and then you basically have like you said a perfect storm win where everything went our way and nothing went our opponent's way and and that's the way we we go into this bye week i mean here we are thinking that you know with the way the defense is playing the last thing i want this defense to do is take a break and break any momentum that it has but you know the the way that we won this football game it's almost the perfect time to take a break because we're riding as high as we possibly can and floating into this 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 game next week against uh the dolphins uh, you know, with all the confidence in the world. Yeah, there's no, I mean, there's no, uh, there's no substitute for winning and, and kind of having that, that positivity radiate through the building. Kind of like Matt Nagy talked about, I think on Monday at his press conference where, you know, when, when you lose or you win a game going into the bye week, it feels like you've won two in a row because, you know, for the last two weeks, you've been a, most recently a winner. And when you lose a game going into the bye week, it's the other way around. And it feels like you lost two in a row. So to come into the bye week coming off of that performance, I, I think that's confidence at that sky high level even longer than it would be otherwise if you had a game on Sunday. So, you know, I think that can motivate the team really well, can can get this get these guys fired up for Miami and hopefully they don't uh, let it go too far to their head. But hmm. I, I don't think after that Green Bay loss, they're going to let that type of mistake happen to them again. And uh, I'm expecting only great things, especially from the defense moving forward. I mean, let's talk about that defense. And, and you know, we mentioned it before. I mean, this thing happened so close to the start of the season. There is literally no one that I talked to before the, you know, like when, like the you, you and I last spoke like first weekend in July, and you were the last show that I did before the uh, before training camp started. We went through all of training camp, all of the preseason, and we're ready to go into game week. Then the Khalil Mack trade happens. And everyone is in a state of euphoria because the Bears pulled it off. And more more importantly, Green Bay didn't. I mean, with the way that he's playing, can you imagine what week one would have been like had Green Bay gotten Mack instead of us? I think you'd you'd see almost these two teams have the reverse records. Like the Packers might be three and one and really feeling comfortable at the top of this division, and it's another Aaron Rodgers redemption story and a and a big season pushing for the playoffs there. And the Bears, you, you have to wonder if you take Khalil Mack away from this defense, if maybe they don't beat Arizona and maybe they don't beat Seattle. I mean, it, it would have been. A, he's made such an individual impact that I don't even think we can fully comprehend on the outside just how much it's been because we just don't get to even see it all as much as we have seen some take that shape on the field. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been ridiculous. I mean, and of course, the butt of the jokes when it comes to Klomak is John Gruden, who said in disbelief the other day after the Raiders finally won their first game of the season, uh, it took overtime and 45 points to beat the the Browns this past Sunday. He's like, Khalil Mack got another strip sack? Are you kidding me? And this was after he spent the last three weeks wondering out loud why the Raiders' pass rush was struggling. You know, he's this, he's wondering this to the actual press corps, you know, of these guys that follow his team day in and day out when the answer's staring him right in the face. He's wearing 52 in Chicago now. That's that's why your pass rush sucks. You You traded it away. So, 
um, you know, it's been amazing to see what what Mac has done, and the fact that that he's done it every game that he's been a Bear so far. You know, I mean, he's setting an an unbelievable bar for himself. You know, with with his earliest exposure to this brand new fan base has been lights out from the beginning, and we're going to, you know, unrealistically expect him to do that every single time he steps on the field. And I think somehow he is better with the Bears than he has been for the most part in Oakland. Absolutely. And I think I, I think largely it can be a result of the defense he's playing on. That with the Raiders, he's obviously the star pass rusher, the number one pass rushing threat, which is true in Chicago, but Oakland's defense didn't consistently have, you know, other threats that really can you know, take full advantage of his presence on the defense and, and also just kind of do their jobs to allow him to better do his job. So, so in Chicago, when he's rushing off that right side of the offense, when he's turning the corner to get to the quarterback, well, Khalil or, uh, Akeem Hicks is there collapsing the top of the pocket. On the other side, you know, Floyd hasn't done a ton as far as getting to the quarterback, but he's at least holding contain on that side of the pocket. So, you know, I think Khalil Mack might not be necessarily even beating his blockers that much more often, but he's being more productive because he's playing on a defense that's better setting him up to take advantage of his own individual success. So I, I think we're only going to see him continue to play at such a high level because Akeem Hicks can help generate that pressure. And, and the other guys in the front seven make Khalil Mack's job easier than it was for him in Oakland. You know, Lauren, I've, I've been saying that exact same thing on, on the show uh, here the last several weeks is that he has a supporting cast with the Bears that he did not have uh, in, in Oakland. I mean, I can't think of anyone, on at least in the front seven, besides maybe Bruce Irvin, that I could name off the top of my head. I mean, I know they've got uh, Carl Joseph and uh, Conley they drafted in the first round, so we kind of know they've got some players in the secondary. But as far as, like, having, you know, this – you know, having an Eddie Jackson and Adrian Amos, and then you got Fuller back there along with Amukamura, uh, along with, you know, uh, Keem Hicks up front and Leonard Floyd on the other side and guys coming off the bench like Aaron Lynch and, and, and Eddie Goldman up front and, and all that kind of – it just wasn't stacked like that on the uh, when he was when, in Oakland. So he does have a lot more to work with, and his greatness is elevating everyone around him. I mean, my my favorite thing to point out thus far was that week two against Seattle we had six sacks and Khalil Mack only accounted for one of them yeah and that's sort of the beauty of this whole thing that right that he he kind of sets up the sacks for everybody else that he he doesn't have to go out and be the guy that gets three or four in one game and have that you know individually dominant performance but like because he'll get the one and because he'll take you know two blockers or sometimes three blockers and even that's not always enough that's what gets Akeem Hicks that one-on-one pass rush. That's what gets, you know, if they run a stunt away from him, that's what frees up the uh, another pass rusher like Roy Robertson-Harris already has reached the quarterback a few times, Aaron Lynch reaching the quarterback a few times. And, and it does just make their blitzes more effective too. When, when they bring that fifth rusher and maybe you can't leave two guys on Khalil Mack and, and – <laughs> I mean, it's just it's got to be a nightmare for opposing offensive coordinators and offensive line coaches and right tackles. It's just absolutely game changing in every way. Yeah, I mean, and and one of those big changes from last year's defense, as good as it was to this year's defense, 
is that all of last year we had eight interceptions. We've already got six in the first four games. You know, I mean, Danny Trevathan, our middle linebacker, has two of them so far. I mean, it's just we're we're also generating opportunities for the offense as opposed to, you know, the defense, you know, was good at its job last year, but there were a lot of times last year, whether it be to to fatigue or, or whatever, they just couldn't get themselves off the field sometimes and creating turnovers like I watched a YouTube video where it showed all the all the you know like I think it was defensive touchdowns from 2011 to 2017 and there was a gap from 2014 to like some point in 2016 or something like that like we went a whole year without a defensive touchdown and then some and you know that the def- that has not been the case so far with the Bears I mean we were on a streak there in the beginning for defensive touchdowns and now it's like turnovers is an every game occurrence as opposed to that being such a rarity in the last two years under John Fox. Yeah. You know, that Mel Tucker gap was uh, a a difficult time to get through, but yeah. Yeah. And and that's the other thing about Mac is is as much as he makes the pass rushers around him better, the pass rush as a whole with Mac allows these defensive backs to be more aggressive. You know, Eddie Jackson can come from his spot in the middle of the field and, and attack a route that he sees because he'll know that, the the press rush is going to hurry that internal clock of the quarterback, mm-hmm. and that when he sees a receiver, you know, make making a break on his route, your, your chances of a double move if that route is later on in the play, it's been a few seconds. You can bite on that because if he tries to run a double move, the quarterback's not going to have time to burn you for it if if you bite on that because your pass rush is there. So you've seen Prince of Mukamara jump that pass against the Seahawks for that pick six because they know Russell Wilson's hurried. You know, you see Eddie Jackson come downfield uh, against the Cardinals and have a pick six that was called back ultimately from a, a Khalil Mack penalty right. of all people, but because he's not afraid of getting burned there because he knows the pass rush is going to hurry the quarterback enough that the play can't develop longer and, and you can get aggressive on those routes if you're smart about it, which Clearly, you know, experience in this Fangio defense has allowed this secondary to really understand their roles in coverage and be able to be smart, confident, and now aggressive. And you know who I think has benefited the most? Maybe you 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 heard this because I put it up as one of my clips um, after the Cardinal game was the guy that that I think has benefited the most from the Khalil Mack trade has been Roquan Smith. You know, if for no other reason than the spotlight is on somebody else. Because he was the story all throughout training camp because he held out for 80% of it. Didn't play at all in the preseason uh, or anything like that. This silly contract dispute over language about, you know, penalties, you know, what what might happen to him and his guaranteed money if he gets suspended for this new helmet, uh, you know, rule and and all that kind of stuff. And then in comes Khalil Mack. And, and Lauren, I swear to God, the second he came into that game to replace the injured Danny Trevathan against Green Bay, I was reminded that we had Roquan Smith because <laughs> he hadn't, you know, it's like, who cares? We got Khalil Mack, you know, Roquan Smith. That's great. We have him too. That's awesome. I completely forgot about Roquan Smith after the Khalil Mack trade because I was just so excited to see that guy out there. And then on his first play from scrimmage, he sacks the quarterback. You know, and then he he started, uh, I believe it was the Seattle game he started, and he's yes. been on the field ever since. He's had a flash here and there, but even if he does rick- make a rookie mistake, nobody's watching him because Khalil Mack is on the field with him at the same time. Yeah, and, and, I mean, how many different people on the roster? You know, if, if Kyle Fuller makes a mistake, if Prince of Mukamara makes a mistake, a, a lot of these guys, it, it, it allows you to put 
a rookie linebacker like this in a position to where he can make mistakes because right. your defense is more than capable of making up for it. And to his credit, he he had you know, I thought he made some rookie mistakes against Seattle, but cleaned it up a little bit more against the Cardinals. And then, you know, no one really made any mistakes. <laughs> I mean, that's maybe an exaggeration, but against Tampa Bay, everything everything went right. So, you know, he hasn't gotten to the point of making those true game-breaking, you know, big-time plays that we saw at Georgia. But, you know, four games into his career, he's played pretty darn well and and stepping in as a starting caliber inside linebacker. And, you know, you talk about this defense could potentially get better if, you know, once Roquan Smith gets up to his potential a little bit more and, you know, Leonard Floyd opposite Mac hasn't really done that much. If, If they had that other premier pass rusher opposite Mac and a a blossoming inside linebacker with elite athletic tools. I mean, it's, it's a little bit wild to think that there are still ways this bears defense can get better. Yeah. I mean, and I've seen that, uh, I think it was an an article. Did you write that one? Which one? The one about the, the bears have the, this, the bears defense is good, but it can actually get better. Did you write that one? I thought, I mean, I did not. I don't think so. I think it maybe have been a Bears Wire article though that I read, but that's what the subject was. Was that this? It's it, you know it's it's funny to think that as good as the Bears defense is, is they couldn't get better. And they were talking about how you know because Roquan Smith is just barely seeing the field and he's getting on, and God forbid Khalil Mack comes in and this is what he's done cold. You know, basically he was seven days into football when he took the field against Green Bay. No OTAs, no training camp, no nothing because he was holding out from Oakland can you imagine what this guy's motor is going to be like when he's in football shape you know a week or two from now or quite possibly after the bye as great as he's been so far you know it's it's amazing and then with with all the young guys on the defense as well they're all growing together and it's amazing how you know what this defense is capable of as opposed to what it's already done and it's locked in too that like yeah all these guys are under contract. I think Adrian Amos is the only one right now that doesn't have a contract because Eddie Goldman got his extension. Right. If I remember that right, he he did get his extension. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right before and so, week two, I think, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it was after the Packers game. So, I mean, I think, you know, technically Jonathan Bullard is two years away from becoming a free agent and Trevathan is two. But 10 of your 11 starters are under contract for next year. And yeah. I imagine they, they still would like to bring back Amos. And, you know, that's maybe getting too far ahead of ourselves here. But this core is here. A, a lot of these starters are locked in for multiple years. And it's it's just the beginning that we're getting into now. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's uh, it's pretty outstanding to think about what what it's done, what it can do, and the sky truly is the limit with this uh, defense. And you know, Roquan Smith. I mean, it's it's it's. I'm not saying that this defense is the same, but it, it's very much like, you know, when William Perry got dropped into the '85 defense and how he was able to contribute. You know, that's kind of what Roquan Smith is walking into. He's got this defense that's established that was good. We've got a superstar that we added in Khalil Mack, and he's there in the middle learning on on the field where it's the best possible place uh, to learn. And as good as he is, he's only going to get better, and it's only going to help the defense as it goes along. Yeah, and I, I just think even look from a, an opponent standpoint, you can you can say over the first few weeks, okay, you know, Seahawks offense, not – that great to write you know nothing to write home about cardinals not really a lot and an injured aaron Rodgers maybe isn't as you know isn't something that's 
as potentially uh, a scary and dominant. And then, you know, I guess the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were that offense that you were waiting to see test this Bears defense, but they they hadn't really been tested. And I guess I look at the rest of the schedule and it's like Patriots and Rams, and and those are the only offenses that might be able to actually uh, push back a little bit at at what this Bears defense does because Miami doesn't really scare me, the Jets, the Bills. I mean, I don't know if we're going to look ahead here in a little bit, so I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but it's there's there's not very many opponents on this schedule that say Ooh, they might give this Bears defense some trouble. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of more of the same and continuing to follow this path up and up and up. And it's it's really exciting just to see how good they will end up. Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I was excited as I was. The Bears finished the way that they did, you know, three and one. We're on a three-game winning streak, our first three-game winning streak since the first three games of the Mark Tressman era, for Pete's sake. And um, we're heading into, you know, four games back to back with one of the worst defense or excuse me, one of the worst divisions in football. I mean, and this is another potential three in one stretch could be six and two at the halfway mark after this four games with the with the with the AFC East if all goes well. Yeah, and, and it's crazy how like, you know, this NFC North started out on paper like one of the toughest divisions in football and now you see the vikings struggling to find an offensive line and to keep their quarterback protected and their defense looks vulnerable you got the injured packers that aren't really clicking the way they should and the lions really kind of falling off the map early on here and all of a sudden you know it's instead of being a a closed door where man it's gonna be tough for the bears to keep up with this team or these teams all of a sudden it's it's wide open and you know you're totally right the bears get off to a hot start here they go after the bye week, and they get a, a fairly easy AFC East division with pretty much just the Patriots that stand in their way. And and that's a home game, too. And Yeah, and that's a home game. And I mean, it's everything. I mean, this is all kind of happening at the right time. Things are clicking at the right time. The schedule is playing out the way it, it the most favorably. And, <laughs> yeah, this team is, is right on track to maintain this NFC North lead and really – establish themselves as a real contender before they kind of get into that divisional stretch. Yeah, and as much as I had a problem with his play calling, um, obviously until this past Sunday, I really do think listening to some of the things that he says, whether it's be you know his the summaries of his press conferences or just the, the sound bites and stuff that I do get a chance to hear, I think we do have the right guy at the helm as far as managing the team because even after we handed Tampa Bay their ass on Sunday, won by 38 points, the most dominant win of the weekend, possibly of the entire season, he's basically telling the team, like, okay, don't get too big on yourselves. You know, it's we're, we're only 3-1. and one. We're only four games into this thing. That was a good football team that had a bad day. It could have easily been us, blah, blah, blah. You know, basically trying to keep the team humble so it doesn't go floating off into the atmosphere. And the next thing you know, we're getting smoked by the Jets at home. You know, that kind of thing. He's he's very aware of, you know, what that happens. And I don't know if that's, you know, due to, due to you know, the things that Andy Reid taught while he was in Kansas City and Philadelphia with him and everything. But I really think, you know, as far as managing the expectations and managing the team and not letting them too get get too high on themselves, we got the right guy at the helm for this season. Yeah, I think the quote he has said, one of them was that, like he told the team, we're not in the playoffs yet. We're not a playoff team yet. We're 3-1, and one, but we're not a playoff team. You don't get to be a playoff team until the end of the year. So, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. He, he says all the right things, and it's it's very encouraging in that sense. But it's still, you know, a young, inexperienced head coach. And I wonder if 
maybe down the line there could be some more adversity along the way. You know, they certainly handled it well after week one, and that's really encouraging. But it's kind of one of those things where until they go through it, you don't really know exactly how they're going to handle it. And so, you know, again, no no reason to be concerned based off of what he does and really saying all the right things. But I don't know. I guess maybe it's it's years of following this team and knowing that just when it seems like everything is going right, it something about the Chicago Bears tends yeah. to go wrong. And I don't know. It, it it does feel like though it's a little bit different this time around. Yeah. Is is that pessimistic optimism or optimistic pessimism? I can never tell. You know. You know. It's it's. A, it's it's a defense mechanism protecting myself from uh, yeah. from future surprise. Oh, I know, I know exactly. I mean, I'm I'm the exact same way, and you know, it's like even I mean, just in the last two years, 2016, 2017, or maybe even even 2015, there have been chunks of the schedule that we couldn't wait to get to. I mean, like last year. Just think about last year. We thought, I mean, we were dancing in the streets at three and five last year after that first eight games, which was notoriously ranked as like the second toughest schedule in all of the NFL for the first eight games. And the Bears won three of those games, you know, potentially should have won at least one or two more of them going into the into the buys. Like now we've got an Aaron Rodgers Green Bay team. You know, the, the, the Lions are always a 50-50 game, even though they've won more than they've lost over the last few years. We got Cleveland and Cincinnati, and, you know, we got all these games that are going to swing our way. And then we just went out and totally crapped the bed and only won two games in that stretch of the schedule that the Bears looked like they were sizing up to make a run at. And th- that's exactly what we're talking about here is like having this optimism. And, you know, we got four games coming up with the AFC East. Those guys can't even beat each other. And, you know, <laughs> we should be able to come out with at least three wins. And the Patriots game is the only one that's in doubt. And it's at home in Chicago, which should work in our favor. We played out. We played really, really well in our two games at home so far this year. So it's, uh, you know, but who knows what can happen. This is, however, the NFL and it is the Bears as well. So, you know, who knows what can happen. But, you know, like you said, something about this year just feels a little bit different. I'm not saying we're going to the Super Bowl or, or anything like that, but I feel that we're getting more breaks than the ones that are going against us or that notoriously have gone against us in the past. I mean, we're, we're getting more calls than the ones that are going against us. We're not getting stupid penalties like we were shooting ourselves in the foot constantly over the last several years. I mean, a lot of things seem different than they have been. Uh, with this team this year. Yeah, and I, you know, you mentioned the bye week and, and kind of coming off of that last year. You know, it was certainly the a, a significant disappointment and a major dud against the Green Bay Packers. But that was almost, you know, the the defense that kind of gave up in that one. Because yeah, I, I look back, Mitch Trubisky had almost three hundred yards in that game. I think it was his most productive game in terms of yards. All season, if if I'm remembering right off the top of my head, I mean I, he might have he might have surpassed it in the Lions game or the Browns game, but it was a big Mitch Trubisky performance coming out of that, and you know not totally lighting it up, but it was it was it was plenty from your rookie quarterback in what, what at the time would have been his probably fourth or fifth career start, but randomly last year the defense got frustrating at this that after that bye week stretch, and injuries were kind of adding up there too, and so. Yeah. You know, but but even in that one, I think Kyle Fuller just kind of struggled against Devonte Adams, and there were some weird fluky Brett Hundley plays that just it's, it was just <laughs> typical Chicago Bears. And you would think this coaching staff, from what we could tell so far, has already put this team in position to avoid those kind of dumb, 
fluky mistakes and, and games that you know they still gave up a couple big plays against the Cardinals when they were out of position, but that lasted all of two or three drives before yeah. it got kind of remedied. And I mean, there's there's certainly not as much concern for me uh, of quite such a major letdown, at least not yet. Yeah, I, I think if there's a letdown, maybe it'll be a bad game as opposed to we're going on a five-game losing streak like we did you know, last year in a section of the schedule that we were salivating over. You know what I mean? It's just like, we, you know, coming out of the, the bye, we lost to Green Bay. Then that Connor Barth kicking the football into a different zip code than the goalposts were in after Detroit, uh, you know, losing the Minnesota. Well, we already lost the Minnesota game, but it was just like one – one flop after another, you know, we just couldn't get out of our own way. We had this penalty, that injury, uh, and everything like that. And it was a huge letdown from an optimistic 3-5 and five to a, you know, a catastrophic 5-11 and 11 with the second half of the schedule that we had. And, you know, for some reason I keep coming back to what Nagy said about, you know, what happens in the game before the bye week. Last year with the Saints game, you know, they made that kind of late comeback push and, Zach Miller gets hurt, the touchdown gets taken away, and right. they almost upset the New Orleans Saints, and you kind of had this big letdown at the end that, uh, you know, the Bears just still aren't there yet, and that that carries into the bye week. I mean, it really mm-hmm. did kind of linger from that Saints game into further disappointment in the next three or four games in a row, and, you know, you, it makes you wonder. You take what happened against the Buccaneers, you let that kind of germinate a little bit and, and bake in the oven here, and you know, at 350 degrees, pull it out against the Miami Dolphins and, and see what we got. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it just um, it does make all the difference in the world. I mean, here I was before the game against Tampa Bay thinking that I did not want this team to go on a bye. With the way this defense is playing, I, the last thing I want is to break momentum. But after Sunday's game, it's like, hell, take a break, guys. You know, you've earned it. Uh, you know, just just like you said, you lose, you you use germinate. I like marinate, marinate on this, and then come back in two weeks. We'll go down to South Florida and, and we'll wear those goddamn orange jerseys. Oh. <laughs> are you a fan? I it it you depends are, on you? what they're going with, but mm. I don't I don't hate them, but oh. I I don't I don't love them. Okay, all right, very middle of the road answer of you, but. Uh, I'll let it slide. Yes. I can't stand them. I, I absolutely hate them. I like the throwbacks better. Oh, absolutely. I love the throwbacks. I do. I absolutely love the throwbacks. I hate the orange jerseys. And we're wearing them twice this year. But we're wearing them against Miami. I guess um, anything's better than wearing the dark jerseys, which will, they'll make us wear because we're the road team and all the rest of that. But, uh, God damn it, we got to wear We got to wear the orange jerseys. And I think and- we... We wear them against Detroit again, or something like that, at, later on in the year. So we got to watch them. And the, Go ahead. that that was a request by Akeem Hicks. It who was. wanted the orange jersey. So if if he's wearing that orange jersey, and thank goodness he's not suspended for this game, you know, if if that's the motivation he needs to have a huge game and get a win, sure, give it to him. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God he didn't get suspended. That was the the one thing that I was worried about more than anything was. Was yeah, it sucks that he got tossed. We were winning thirty-eight to three when it happened, so it's not that big a deal. But um, you know, if if you're, I mean, the NFL takes that whole shoving an official thing quite seriously. It, you know, they could suspend him for one game, maybe two, which means we lose him for the New England game. We're going to need him for that one. And because this idiot got a little too heated and shoved in an official, we got to we're going to be missing one of the key parts of our defense uh, against the you know probably our most challenging game up to that point. 
Yeah, and I still haven't seen uh, a very definitive or clear replay at all. Neither have I. What happened? That the, the one they showed on the broadcast was so far away and kind of quick. And yeah, I just it, it's a, it's a, one of those weird ones. And I guess in in the course of the game and and potentially in the course of the season, it's not going to matter. You know, three months from now, but. It's one of those like, wait a minute, you know, let's 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 not move past that 100 percent here before we know exactly what's going on, right? But we might just be forced to. So let's talk about the offense a little bit. I think we've given the defense plenty of due at this point. Um, you you tell me, you you watch the all 22s. What is going on with Jordan Howard? Because the, I mean, it's not so much. I just. It really isn't so much that we're not giving him the ball enough because I think that that Nagy has been doing that a little bit better as we go along here. In my opinion, especially in this Tampa Bay game, it seemed like every time we gave him the football, he was running to the outside when he's our between-the-tackles guy. That's where Jordan Howard does his damage. And I've been seeing him try to get to the outside and turn the corner, and he's just not built for that. That's what Tariq Cohen does, and that's what he did to Tampa Bay but we give Jordan Howard the ball and we're trying to run these sweeps and it's he's getting run down because that's not what he does. Is that been the case for the most part with him? Because he's still our leading rusher, but he's got like twice as many carries as everyone else. He's only rushing for like 2.5 yards a carry or something, something like that. Let me see. I got it right here. 3.2 yards a carry so far uh, on his uh, 203, 204 yards, something like that, that he's gotten so far this year. When you look at the all-22s, are they always trying to get Jordan Howard to the outside, or is he just not performing as well as he has in the past? So, for me, I think the biggest thing is the offensive line, and and I think it's a combination of things that yeah, he's you know looking at like the splits of what kind of run concepts they use. He's really struggled when they do that that outside you know stretch where the, the two guards will pull out in front and he gets nothing on those plays. But he's been fine on you know some of the typical inside zone plays that are sort of his bread and butter, but. I, I still think it's generally an offensive line issue that, you know, I, I look back in last week he had 11 carries, and on nine of those carries, the first contact made by a defender with Howard came at or behind the line of scrimmage. So there, there were two runs out of 11 where he's able to get past the line of scrimmage without a defender being there to meet him. And, you know, so he's creating a lot of this yards after the contact that, you know, that he's at least able to create. And he doesn't have as much space to be able to break free. You know, I think whereas Tariq Cohen can maybe create a little bit more space when the run blocking's not there because he can just outrun guys to the edge of the field. You know, I think that's why he's had a little bit more success. But I think they're also using Cohen on some different types of runs and in different yeah. situations. Whereas I feel like Howard, it's a lot of times they'll put two or three tight ends on the field right on the line of scrimmage, and so it's no disguise, hey, we're going to run the ball, and the defense can load up the box a little bit and attack downfield. And they started to finally do some more play action off of it against Tampa Bay, mm -hmm. which I thought was a pretty big thing. But, yeah, 9 of the 11 against Tampa Bay were met at or behind the line of scrimmage. And the week before against Arizona, it was like, I don't remember how many total carries he had, but it was like 17 out of 24 met at or behind the line of scrimmage. The last couple of games, majority, the vast majority of his carries it's a defender that's right there, and there's just only so much he can do. And so I, I think he's been running pretty well. It's just there's not a lot of space in front of him to be able to work. That's what I was I was uh, hoping that you would say because you have the benefit of of uh, checking out the all twenty twos, and I, I haven't had a chance to either either I haven't had a chance to explore that, or I I just don't have access to it. And um, you know, it's just uh, that's the what I was noticing against Tampa Bay, especially 
was that it just seemed like every time they gave Jordan Howard the ball, like they were only interested in running to the outside for some reason. Like, cause that's where obviously where Cohen had all of his success, but he's that short shifty speedy guy with the low center of gravity. He can turn the corner pretty much whenever the hell he wants to. And that's what he did very well against Tampa Bay. Jordan Howard, on the other hand, he's a downhill runner. You want to get him between the tackles and you know, and let him have those con- let him have that contact and bang around and get to the second level and possibly open it up and get to the third um, level. And it just seemed like they were trying to get him to the outside. He's getting caught from behind, or there there's two or three guys waiting for him over there already, and 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 all that kind of stuff. It just seemed like they were using him improperly instead of not using him enough. Yeah, like you look back at the Green Bay game in Week One, he averaged over five yards a carry because Green Bay they didn't have a lot of linebacker depth. They came out with a lot of nickel and dime and quarter coverage with, you know, four, five, six, seven defensive backs in the game and and taking these linebackers out of the box. So he had room to run. The the run blocking was there and and he was able to take full advantage of what they gave him. But Seattle, not really that scared of of Trubisky for the most part defensively. They loaded up seven, eight guys in the box and Howard kept running into him. And Arizona, a good run defense, seven or eight guys in the box trying to dare the Bears to throw downfield and just no room for Jordan Howard to create. So I I don't think he is particularly, um, you know, any worse than he was last year. It's just been kind of a situation, a scheme, uh, a, a run blocking and, you know, different just a, I think an offensive play caller, too, that's still getting used to when and how to run the ball and, and what types of runs to use Jordan Howard on versus Tariq Cohen. But at the end of the day, if. Three and one, they they are they have won all three games when Jordan Howard has struggled, and they lost the one game where he ran. I I, yeah. I don't think Jordan Howard should be too upset if they win forty eight to ten and he only has two yards per carry. Right. <laughs> no, that's definitely something that uh, probably not complaining about coming away with victories for a change instead of being that guy that ran for you know twenty five carries for a buck fifty and a touchdown and we lost twenty one to seven. You know that kind of thing. So I I think he's probably. Pretty okay with how things are going um, uh, thus far. So, so we move on to the rest of the offense, and you know we got all these with practically a brand new offense, pretty much across the board. But before we get to that, with the offensive line, um, today was the first time that I was made aware that our rookie second round pick James Daniels actually saw the field quite a bit uh, on Sunday. I didn't realize that he was out there. I didn't notice anyway that he replaced Eric Cush at left guard for twenty seven plays in the game. Uh, on Sunday, and he was getting some pretty good praise for it. Do you think he's going to be our Week Six starter going forward? I I do, and I wasn't even like overly impressed with his performance individually. Uh, I thought there were some plays where, like in in the running game in particular, when when he bulldoze a guy and create some space, but there were other plays when he gets stood up at the line of scrimmage a little bit and isn't really able to get much going there. So I, I thought more ups and downs from James Daniels, which you might expect as a rookie. Whereas like when Eric Cush was in there, you're not really seeing many of the ups, but you're not really seeing many of the downs. So, you know, some more volatility, but maybe a higher ceiling right now from James Daniels, whereas Cush is just kind of a, a guy. And I, and I think they don't get James Daniels in this rotational role if they're not planning on using this as kind of a transition to starting. You know, it feels right. to me like this is the first step toward getting him in the starting lineup. And maybe you give him some live action before the bye. You spend the bye week working with him with the starters, and then you come out against Miami and, and give him the keys. Maybe they'll keep the rotation going, but I, I would expect that we're within a few games of James Daniels as your starter. 
Well, I mean, because the the reason I ask is because you know when Nagy was asked about it, they he he used the very almost the ver- the same language that he used when it came to Roquan Smith. He only played a handful of plays against Green Bay Week One, and you know what we heard from Nagy that week was he's earned more playing time. And then he started against Seattle, and he's played ever since. He very pretty much said the same thing about well, Daniels has been doing well in practice, and he'd heard he'd earned a chance to play. That's why he played twenty seven downs uh, against Tampa Bay. You know, if the pattern follows, then you go from he's earned the right to play uh, to he's going to be our starter uh, going forward. Yeah, and that seems to be kind of the the natural tendency here. And you know, I think it's it only helps because Eric Cush is a pretty versatile backup. He can kind of you know, I would I would feel more comfortable plugging him in somewhere than necessarily asking Daniels to to move over. Like Kyle Long left the Bears game last week with for like what turned out to be a total of like three plays, and Daniels had to plug over at right guard. And I guess I'd I'd rather have the the more experienced veteran be that three tool guy that you know universal interior backup player and and move him around and kind of just lock James Daniels in one spot, let him get really comfortable playing left-handed, playing next to Cody Whitehair and Charles Leno, and just build that that camaraderie, that chemistry, that cohesion, pick a C-word, you know, you name it, build mm-hmm. that with the offensive line. I, I would have liked to see them lock that in months ago instead of moving him around throughout the preseason, but that's that's a whole other topic, and uh, they're, they're at least getting towards that end goal. So what do you think about our the rest of our offense? I mean, basically everybody is – is brand new all of our pass catching targets are the same and um you know i I think we got mixed reviews and 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 a lot of it had to do with uh in my opinion and we'll talk about him more later but trubisky was um what was not great those first three games but you know gabriel robinson trey burton we were expecting more than we got from them in those first three games and then obviously we got them in spades uh, against Tampa Bay if you had to give those three guys a grade where would you come in at yeah uh it's tough because I was I was a little bit down on on Taylor Gabriel through the first couple games just because we hadn't really seen him make plays after the catch you know like it seemed like when they'd run screens to him he'd he'd take the yards that were there but he wasn't really you know making guys miss and and, and creating explosive plays after the catch which was what I was hoping to see but Allen Robinson looks the part as a number one wide receiver. Trey Burton, I think, has looked fine as a, as the number one tight end, even though Trubisky hasn't been able to find him. But I, I'm with you 100 percent that the, the quarterback and, and sort of the, the simplifying of the offense, they had to do more of early on with a lot of just quick curl routes and outs and, and dump offs and slants limited a lot of what these guys could do. So, I mean, I'd I'd give Allen Robinson the full A. Uh, heading into last week, I would have been a little bit lower on Taylor Gabriel, but he totally looked the part against Tampa Bay and, and yeah. alleviated a lot of the concerns there and, and kind of maybe con- confirmed that the concerns were a little bit more Trubisky-based than Gabriel-based and, and, and scheme-based in that sense. So, you know, I, I don't really have major complaints about any of them uh, a- after the first couple games. Just would like to see Burton be more involved and can yeah, be more of that sure. mismatch over the middle. But yeah. it's it's a it's a work in progress kind of thing that you know with all new receivers Trubisky has to get to know them all and get to know their timing and you know understand how long it takes them to run certain routes and to cover a certain amount of distance and and how much those throws need to be and build that trust to be 
be able to get aggressive and attack some of the tight windows. They've all done fine. And and I think as Trubisky gets more comfortable, we'll see their production kind of rise up to the talent that we know they have. And, you know, that's what I was saying about this as we kind of transition our way into Trubisky was that, you know, it, it's it's very much Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde as far as being a Bear fan with this offense. Because on one hand, the the Dr. Um, the Dr. Jekyll side, the the reasonable, you know, more realistic kind of attitude has to be this is a new this is a, a brand new bunch of guys playing together for the first time in this brand new offense with a you know essentially a rookie play caller we have to be patient and then the the Mr. Hyde side is screw that this is year 6 after Lovey I'm sick of all this crap play better win football games for Christ's sake I mean it's just you know, you bounce back and forth between these two people as you're watching this team on the field. You know, it's like, I know we have to be patient. You know, Trubisky is, you know, barely in the double digits as far as how many starts he has in the league. And, you know, barely, you know, I don't even know if he's cracked 30 starts since the since he graduated from high school yet. And, you know, we know there's a learning curve there and all the new guys with this new offense and blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, the monster comes back in. So what? You're professionals. You get paid to do this. Do it better. It's driving me crazy. So that's the kind of, you know, emotion I've been dealing with lately is that I know we have to be patient. But at the same time, I'm tired of being patient. We're on our third head coach since we let Lovey go. This is how many offenses in, how many people have come in and out of this team. I want to see some results for Christ's sake. Look at what the defense is doing. Be more like them. And and look at what Patrick Mahomes and Jared Gofford and Carson Wentz are doing. They didn't have to be patient, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah. It's, but at the same time, I mean, I guess four after four games after that fourth game performance didn't didn't require that much patience to get right. to that right. You know that really big beacon of hope. So you know it's it's a work in progress, and maybe it's not going to be at that pace. That some of the other quarterbacks have had, and I and I don't like to compare Trubisky to these get to those guys individually because it's very different situations for all, all four of them really, and different weapons, different somewhat different offenses, and, and different lengths of time within those offenses and, and with those coaching staffs. So, you know, it's 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 you're seeing steady progress, and mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, and and I was on um, the guys that I had on for the preview show last week of the the Pewtercast podcast they had me on what they call their instacast their live show after the game and basically asked me what was the difference how did the bears do what they did and i said quite plainly the difference was trubisky you know he had an amazing day but you know going into it the first three games of the season he was doing one of two things he was trying to force it to somebody who wasn't open or he was missing somebody who was wide open like there were at least two, two plays off the top of my head that he missed a wide open Taylor Gabriel and God only knows what the results would have been if he put the ball in the right place on those plays. He had one against Arizona and another one against Seattle. Both of those plays could have been big or and or touchdowns, you know, in those football games and done a lot to change what how those games went down. Last week against Tampa Bay, he was making those throws. He, I mean, it's, it's almost like mirror images. Like in the last three games, they ran the same play, only this time he hit Gabriel, and it was a big play. And then, you know, those, pla- those passes to wide open Trey Burton, he's hitting him perfectly, and it's a touchdown. That dime that he threw to Allen Robinson in the end zone and, and everything, he had a wide open Jordan Howard in the flat. Instead, he goes for the corner. 
uh, to hit Allen Robinson, and boom, he puts it in just the right place for the touchdown. Trubisky was the difference in what the offense hadn't been and what they were on Sunday against the Buccaneers. Yeah, it was just this like new level of confidence, and yeah, you know, yeah. It, it it was just kind of contagious. I think it was you know scoring early on and having things kind of start clicking. And even after they got off the script, things kept clicking and, and just kept building and building from there. But I also think, you know, from a from a, a wider perspective, the, the Buccaneers couldn't really get any pressure on him. And they really didn't blitz him much at all, which had been such a, a major struggle against the Cardinals and the Seahawks that they'd put guys in the line of scrimmage and he'd get overwhelmed and, and rush the throw and not set his feet or step into the throw and, and make those mistakes. And for some reason, the Buccaneers didn't, think to try that much at all and so you know he he wasn't under pre- I think he was under pressure four out of 28 dropbacks and blitzed a total of like five times in the game so it just you know Tampa Bay didn't really attack him or, or push him and the offensive line gave him a ton of time to throw so yeah. he could be confident let the play develop and you know they ran a lot of the same kind of passing concepts over and over and it kept working and he could be confident that okay we're gonna run this play this is how it's gonna go then he runs the play and it does go like that. And then, you know, it just kind of keeps snowballing from there into six touchdowns and 350 yards. And a damn near perfect uh, quarterback rating on, on top of it all, 154.5 or something. And uh, the like funny that. thing about that, um, you know, Jared Goff had the perfect passer rating on Thursday and, and Trubisky was just behind him. Mm-hmm. Uh, PFF charted Trubisky with two plays intentionally thrown away. It was a, a I think it was a broken screen to, to Trey Burton and, Another one that he just intentionally kind of threw out of bounds because everything was covered. If you take away those two plays as you know unaimed throws, and only the passes he aimed, you know, and actually threw to a target, he had a perfect passer rating. So he wow. was that close that just the two <laughs> thrown away passes is what kept him from the perfect rating. And you know what? I was happy to see or happy to not see on Sunday, unless I blanked out and just missed it. I actually had a tweet during the Arizona game where I was saying I would like the NFL to outlaw bubble screens because I am sick of watching the Bears run that play like it's the only offense that we have. It's like we're giving the guy, uh, basically we're running by passing in, in those types of plays. And when have you ever seen one of those spring for for big yards? It's like it, I just haven't seen the Bears do it, not since the days of, of John Shoup in the mid-'90s when Steve Walsh was throwing those passes. Have they ever really worked for the Bears? I mean, come on. And, you know, that was one thing that I don't think we saw – if we saw it at all against Tampa Bay, we only saw it maybe once or twice. Did we run a bubble screen against the Buccaneers? I I don't know if I saw a bubble screen against the Buccaneers. I, I, I they they ran like some some fake, you know, where they'd show a bubble screen and throw deep over top as kind of a tendency breaker. Okay. I know Trubisky threw what would it be seven passes behind the line of scrimmage and completed six of them, but most of them were kind of over the middle of the field. You know, some of that would be the the jet sweep, the jet sweep, and the little dump off there, or throwing something to the running back. So there were a couple plays to the right that might have been a I don't know if it was a bubble screen or more of your standard wide receiver screen, but I think they threw at least one or two total screens. But certainly coming away from it a bit more than we had seen in recent games, and being able to work some kind of counter plays off of that with throwing downfield when they show that screen. Yeah, because that's what was making me nuts, especially with the the Arizona and Seattle games, was that it just seemed to be like the backbone of our offense with these damn bubble screens that we would try to run. It's and it's 
it was like that's how we were trying to use Taylor Gabriel. It was like you give him that ball over there in the bubble screen and hoping that he's out there in open space, he's got to make one guy miss, and boom, it's a big play. When instead he gets over there and half the defense is waiting for him when he's got that football, he gets a yard if he's lucky. Or like that famous play that everybody loves to screenshot against Green Bay where Trey Burton's standing in the middle of the end zone by himself and it ends up being a five-yard loss on a screenplay to Taylor Gabriel. You know, it's just like those screenplays weren't working. We either need to run less of them so the defense doesn't always see them coming or just stop running them all together because they don't work. Yeah, and at least Nagy kind of has the the wherewithal, the understanding to recognize that it was a tendency, that it was something they kept coming to and maybe in certain looks coming to that and the Buccaneers were trying to be aggressive and, and trying to pounce on that and then, you know, switching it up, not running very many, if any of them, and, and running some plays that looked a lot like it but could still take advantage of it over the top. That's that's an encouraging sign of a, of a self-aware and, and growing young head coach. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I like about Nagy is, is you know, I'm, I'm, you know, we hear him saying all the right things when it comes to press conferences, when it comes to talking to the guys and, and tempering expectations, or at least as far as not letting them get too big ahead uh, with, with the way they won on Sunday and just keeping, you know, we're only four games into a 16-game schedule, guys. we got a long way to go. We're not a playoff team yet, that kind of thing. But he also seems to be, you know, very, like you said, self-aware, kind of humble kind of guy. He's not so cocky that he's just going to keep going regardless of what's happening in front of him. He's going to stick to the game plan no matter what, like a, uh, like a Mike Martz used to. He's going to make the adjustments and, and take what the defense is giving him and you know grow from week to week, which is why I think we've seen this growth over the last four weeks. Yeah, and, and sort of that, that steady improvement in, in kind of key ways is, is really what I think gives you the most optimism that things are going to continue to grow. And, you know, it's not, I don't want to say that the Buccaneers game wasn't a fluke because there was certainly some flukiness to 350 yards and six touchdowns. That's sure. not going to keep happening. Right. But it was that indicator that, that the growth is real and that it's not just a, a one-time flash in the pan there. It's, it really is an offense steadily improving. It's a quarterback steadily improving that relationship between coach and quarterback improving and, and being able to make the offense more and more Mitchell Trubisky friendly, getting Tariq Cohen involved a little bit more, Taylor Gabriel involved a little bit more from the early days of only throwing to Allen Robinson. You know, he's he's just finding, you know, uh, ways to spread the ball around, ways to get every receiver involved, and also, you know, new wrinkles to add each week, even beyond the gimmicky trick plays that continue to work. I mean, even just from a more of a, a wider scheme perspective, they're adding little wrinkles here and there like the fake screen and like this the same post wheel concept they kept throwing to down the sidelines that were wide open you know just little things like that it's it's all kind of adding up and it's all leaving you feeling fairly confident yeah that play was killer against Tampa Bay I mean Cohen I mean if 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 it looks like both times they ran that play Cohen ran himself out of bounds like they could have been touchdowns both times if he had just kept himself in bounds like that last touchdown that uh, Trubisky threw to Gabriel was set up by a wheel route from Tariq Cohen and he ran himself out of bounds as opposed to getting forced or pushed out of uh, bounds. I mean, those were big plays, you know, uh, that, that at least twice worked like a charm uh, against Tampa Bay uh, on Sunday. I mean, Sunday was just, was so much fun to watch, man. And, and it just, it's completely going to spoil you. You know, we got the, the, the dolphins in a couple of weeks and 
uh, and everything like that. It's it's going to be hard to to match the performance that they had against Tampa Bay, and that's where the the uh, the tempered expectations need to come in. Yeah, because they kind of raised the bar there, right? Yeah. It's like okay, significantly. This, yeah. Here, here's what the ceiling is for this offense, and now okay, well we saw that. Where where's that? Do that do that again. Yeah. Do no, that let's, twelve let's more see times. That one more please. time. Yeah. Let's not one yeah. more time. Twelve <laughs> more times. Come on. But every uh, week, yeah, yeah, every week. So I mean, looking ahead, you know, like we've said before, we have four straight against the AFC East. We got we're on the road from Miami, home back to back New England and the Jets, on the road to Buffalo, and then we've got the stretch that worries me the most, quite frankly, just because of the frequency. We got Detroit, Minnesota, and Detroit in eleven days. Sunday the Sunday the eleventh of November. To Thursday, Thanksgiving, the 22nd, we play three games in 11 days against division opponents. And I'd be very interested to see where we're left standing after those games are up because we got the Rams the and the Packers right after that. Yeah, it's it's like I talked about earlier with adversity in this team. That's that's a really tough stretch for a first-year head coach. And, you know, a first-time, well, really his second year as a play caller here, to, to take this team through as far as preparing on that short week and going from de- playing Detroit twice and not trying to necessarily, you know, do the same things twice. It's and, and I think you you mentioned it when the Bears played Detroit twice a year, even when Detroit loses more than they win throughout the course of the year, weird stuff happens when the Bears play the Lions and in recent years weird stuff has happened when the when the Bears play the Vikings. So I'm I'm with you 100%. That's a a really critical stretch there to gear up for the Rams, the Packers, and and the the Vikings again to to end that season as you're really winding down. If this NFC North playoff race is getting tight, if the Vikings and Packers keep climbing back, those those games are absolutely critical. And it's it's the big test for you know how does Matt Nagy and this team handle it when the going really gets tough. Yeah, from from and then you know the NFL doing us no favors with our schedule. Five of our six division games are from week ten to week seventeen. So in that in that seven game stretch, we got we got five division games uh, in that in that stretch, and it's just like you know that's uh, that's a lot of important football being played. Oh yeah, and we got a game against the Rams in there somewhere uh, as well. So it's like six out of those last eight games, you got five division games and the Rams. It, they're you know the 49ers are probably not going to be who they thought who people thought they might be after losing Garoppolo and the Giants are well they're not very good but they still have <laughs> Beckham and Barkley and you know you know they they have potential to hurt you so but it's like you're looking at that schedule and 6 out of the 8 games are the 5 NFC North games and the Rams that's plenty of headaches that we have to go through in that all important section of the year which is why this stretch against the AFC North and or the AFC East and that first four game stretch were honestly so important that you know you're if if they can finish what six and two after the first eight games you're not going to go six and two after the final eight games I mean it just, <laughs> regardless of how you started this with this stretch of teams it's just not going to happen that way so the the fewer losses you can bank and the, the more wins you can bank leading up to that you, know, you can start out eight and two and then go four and four and still finish. 10 and 6 and, and that's a playoff spot so it is a it is a pretty critical stretch there because it, it just builds in that leeway down the stretch yeah and that uh that green bay game week 15 i got that bad boy circled on my calendar dude i want that one bad in I, chicago yeah yeah the, the I mean, week 15 that that late part of the 
the season, I we, we got to have that game. We got to have. I mean, there's a lot of football between now and then. That's week 15. So we're 11 weeks away from that. But that's the one we have to have because we should have won week one, but we forgot that it's a 60-minute game and we only played 30 in that one. And, you know, it's like if we play Green Bay this week, I think we murder them, quite frankly. But I, I just uh, that's that's one uh, we, we got to have that, that one. I'll be a I'll be a madman for that game. And there's something about these perennial contending teams, the Vikings, the Packers, the Patriots, even that, you know, they, they do seem to tend to start out kind of slow. And, you know, we've seen this a few times with the Patriots where people say is the Tom Brady thing over. But, you know, they start out slow. And then once you get into that exact time of the season that's when everything clicks that's when the offenses are firing at all cylinders the defenses cleaned up their early season mistakes and you know those elite players really truly play elite and take over games so I mean the Bears have to be on their toes and it's it's back-to-back Rams and then Packers week after week at home there and it's that's that's gonna be brutal but but really fun to watch absolutely I absolutely I can't wait to uh to see how it all turns out, and I can't wait to talk to you again after it all goes down uh, week 17. So we're going to have a little bit more of a, a longer break than we're used to uh, when it comes to these little conversations, uh, Lauren, but I look forward to having you on at the end of the year to uh, to recap these next 12 weeks and uh, to see where we're standing at the end of it. I mean, it very well could be that we have to push the talk back because it's supposed to be a year-in-review episode, and we've got playoff games before we can wrap this bad boy up. I was going to say, otherwise, you know, if the Bears get a first round bye, we could quite try and squeeze it in there. But maybe that's too optimistic thinking. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. It's like, OK, this will be our 12 week review. And then we'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk about how the how the playoffs went down and everything. <laughs> so but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and I'm just I'm excited about how this year is shaping up and, and how it might actually turn out. Uh, there's a lot more optimism uh, surrounding this team than, than has been for for quite some time. And um uh, you know, dude, I've been doing this show since 2007. I've had one playoff season doing this show. The the, the ill-fated 2010 NFC Championship Let's Murder Jay Cutler game. Uh, I, I need some more playoff uh, episodes uh, in this bad boy, and I think this, this 2018 team just might get me there. Yeah, and, and you and I have been doing these the last couple of years, talking Bears, and I always appreciate, appreciate you having me on, but it's always – you know, for, for us doing this, it's it's been the John Fox Bears, and it's like, oh, well, you know, we're, we're kind of complaining about Dowell Loggins the whole time, and when are they going to fire this guy, and when are they before that, when are they going to get a quarterback, why are they signing Mike Glennon and all this stuff, and it is a, a very welcome change to be able to watch a much better team. Absolutely. So, uh, Lauren Cox, your accolades keep changing, man. Wh- who are you working with now these days? You know, that, that might even be changing here in, in the coming days, oh, but wow. uh, I... Yeah, I, I do the Lockdown Bears podcast. Right. I, I write about the Bears for NBC Sports Chicago and Bears Wire. And uh, you can find me a few other places around there, but I'll, I'll leave it short and then not go through the full laundry list here. All right. And then obviously on Twitter at Cox Sports one And uh, you and I have some fans in common, most likely uh, John C. Collins. I know he likes to he likes to chime in with you from time to time. And when he does, he also likes to tag me on it uh, as well. So we're all having that conversation together. And, um, you know, it, it's been uh, it's been fun having you on and I look forward to having you on again. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you.
Once again, want to thank our guest, Lauren Cox, from the Locked on Bears podcast, uh, NBC Sports Chicago, BearsWire.com, and uh, catch him on Twitter, Cox Sports, uh, Cox Sports One, um, like Fox, but with a C. So uh, good friend, love having him on, and, and like you guys heard, whenever we uh, get together and we get going, get comfy. It's going to be a while. So um, love talking to him. Uh, looking forward to having him back on. You know, if, 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 if it can take us an hour to talk about four games imagine how long it'll take us to talk about 12 or maybe 13 or 14 if the bears end up making the playoffs this year wouldn't that be something that might have to be a two-parter or something like that who knows but uh nonetheless enjoyed having him on and um we talked afterwards yes we continued talking after we were done talking um and uh look forward to me being on the locked on bears podcast as the guest of his uh, somewhere down the line, I think uh, in the next week or two, he wants to have me on is what he said. So I will keep you guys posted on that. Follow me um, on Twitter at uh, BTU underscore Larry to uh, get the deets on when that is going to happen. So that's basically going to do it, guys. I think I'm going to let you go. I appreciate you still being around if you're still listening. And uh, just want to uh, once again remind you of uh, I'm really, really excited about having Jeff Perlman on the show uh, uh, next week and in, in the place of what would have been a week five review show. going to talk to him about the football for a buck, the crazier ride, the crazy, uh, crazy rise, a crazier demise of the USFL. And he also wrote sweetness in 2011. We'll see about getting some sweetness stories out of him before we wrap things up with him, with him next week. So uh, hopefully we'll, uh, you know, Hopefully you guys you, uh, will tune in. I'm really, really looking forward to that. And like I said, uh, Jeff tweeted earlier tonight that um, it made the New York Times bestseller list, which I know he is over the moon uh, about because we will talk about it on the show about the sacrifices that he made to write this book. And it has the biggest payoff that you could possibly ask for uh, as an author. So um, really happy for him. Really happy to have him on the show next week. I think you guys are really going to uh, enjoy uh, listening to the stories about the USFL and the one or two stories I can pull out of him about our beloved Walter Payton. So that's going to do it for the show, guys. Come back on Tuesday uh, to hear the show, of, uh, to hear the talk between me and Jeff about the USFL and sweetness. And come back on Thursday when we'll be back to regular business. And we'll hope to have uh, Kevin Noggle back on the show from Finsiders on SB Nation to help us preview Bears Dolphins for week number six. So uh, be sure to come back on Tuesday for Jeff Perlman. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground.